Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. I'm Chris Murray. And I'm Susan. We run a company called Thrive Inc., and we specialize in conflict resolution, stress management coaching, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships. Now, we know no one likes conflict, not even us. We've (laughs) written two books on the topic. In our work over the last 20 plus years, we've found most people avoid, manage, or diffuse conflict. The problem is when you opt out of conflict in these ways, you miss the creativity, the connection, and the possibility that lies in conflict. We also know 2020 has been, well, let's face it, a stressful year. And what Susan and I realized is all the tools that we've developed and utilized around conflict apply directly to uncertainty, which is what we're living in now. In this podcast, we have tools, concepts, and interviews that will help you cope with the stress and uncertainty of conflict, of COVID, of social justice issues, and yes, even politics. We hope you'll walk away from this episode with some fresh ideas that change your day, your week, and even your life. Hi, this is Chris Marie, and Susan and I have been you know, coaching people who are working remotely. We've been facilitating teams online through several months. And there's no end to this online insight, at least this online working environment. And some of the issues that we have found is people are feeling disconnected, doesn't feel as real during their days of 12-hour meetings through Microsoft Teams or Zoom, or even with their family. They cannot go travel to their families and they're feeling this lack of connection. And so today we wanted to give you some ideas about what you can do to create or deepen that connection, even through video conferencing. I agree. (laughs) And it, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I have noticed, I've been reflecting on when has it been successful? When have we had, because we've had a lot of opportunities to work with teams that are all online. Some of them, they're not together either. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes that's been really rich and we've been able to kind of have some real dialogue and get into conflict and get through. And, and get other, to actually really good results, business alignment. Yeah. And other times it has not, that hasn't been there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've been talking about what's the difference. And even recently I was talking to some friends of mine who have spent years up at the Haven, which is one of our locations that we've done a lot of work at. And these are some faculty members and they, you know, there's still that belief of, I just don't know if online it's going to work. It's going to work. <laughs> and I am here to say it can. <laughs> it can work primarily because of the same models and some of the same ideas that we talk about when we're in a program up at Haven, like Come Alive. Or in, Face, person. in person. In mm-hmm. person. And the same idea with team offsites. They can actually be quite rich, even online. The problem is people tend to this online environment, they tend to omit some things that create that connection and deepen the conversation. And that's what we've been putting in when we were working with teams. So today we wanted to talk about a model we use to help people understand this a little bit that we refer to as the resonance model. And this is actually one of the core models used up at the Haven. And we think it's pretty helpful to getting to how you might be able to find more juice in your online experiences. And just even before we go into this, think about meetings that you've had online and that have been really satisfying. You felt connected, you felt seen and heard what's going on with those. And they could be even family Zoom meetings or what meetings have you felt like, wow, 
like, why was I even there? This did not work. So be thinking about your own experiences. So, and uh, and, you know, obviously you think, well, it's the energetics of when we're there in person or the felt sense. And, you know, the reality of it, you could have the felt sense over an internet line that you really could. (laughs) It's because it's your felt sense that you need to start paying attention. It's in your body. It's your body. So (laughs) we're going to talk to you about how to maybe get back to that. I mean, I think this, even because I'm just fresh off the play, this even happens when we have smaller audiences or bigger audiences, because the audience is basically another cast member who, you know, happens, they respond, and then that fuels us. So there's this ongoing energetic flow that's quite powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the size. And, you know, I would even venture to say that, you know, some people think a huge crowd is better than a small crowd. I don't know if that's really the difference. Yeah, I don't know if size really is. It's but each group has a different personality of how much they yes. are engaged or not or maybe they're internally engaged but we don't know. Right. Yeah. So we want to talk about this idea, this resonance model. And we're going to start off by sort of framing it up for you. And this comes from the idea that we are energy beings and there is this universal energy that's a part of everything. Now, You may have a different perspective. You may call it God. You may call it prana. You may call it chi. These are different bodies of work that refer to this kind of notion of universal energy. But it's everywhere. It's what makes up all sorts of things. Living beings pop out of this universal energy. Mm -hmm. And as we pop out, we are just connected, fully connected to this universal energy and require to be taken care of. We won't survive those Mm -hmm. first few months if someone does not take care of us. We cannot hold up our head. We cannot use our bodies. (laughs) Now there are some animals that come out fully functioning and independent. And as a result of that, we set up this dynamic pretty quickly as soon as we're out in the world of having that. We have parents or caregivers or whatever, because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have survived, but you had something. And there's a dynamic of taking care of and pleasing. It starts to develop. Like children learn very early that, oh, you know, if I just even smile a little bit, I get get, get food, get, get food, attention. Get attention <laughs> and and various things. So we learn this transactional caretaking, pleasing relationship that starts off as a survival issue. It can be pretty babies are so as infants, we're so sensitive. We're just this raw nervous system that takes up. So even if we're crying and the person that's holding us stiffens, we have less connection, less sense of feeling safe. So we're taking that as a data point, like, oh, this isn't working so well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and there's all sorts of, this is at the, the earliest stages of this. And then also we have, we need to learn how to, fit in to this world that we've been born into. And so we have we have schools, we have religion, we have community, we have the police, we have laws, we have order, all sorts of things, structures that begin to provide us with the direction we need to know how to fit in. Like for me, some of you may relate to this, you know, I realized pretty early on, hey, if I get A's, then mom and dad are a lot nicer to me than if I get B, C's or D's. So I am going to work to achieve or, you know, that same thing. If I dress a certain way, then I fit in or I counterfeit in. I want to reject the authority that I'm a part of. Yeah. You know, and it, this doesn't just happen with 
authority figures, but even in our friends, we start to, okay, what do I have to do to right. conform and fit in to, so that the peer I, pressure, you know, am I wearing the right clothes or am I, you know, I want to be the cool kid that never really worked for me, but usually <laughs> we all find the places that we sports work sports. For that yeah. was where I found my, you know, yeah. finally found where I could fit in. So now, and anytime we're doing that, we're looking outside to say, okay, these people want me to do this. What do I need to do to fit? And when we're doing that, we're often giving up something of ourselves in order to fit this. Yes. View. And the challenge is, so we actually begin to kind of construct our persona, persona and our what I would call our character armor, it's like, it's almost like it's a box that begins to look a lot like whatever structure has been given to us to fit in, to conform, to be a part of this culture and society. And then what happens is that box gets tighter. Like we start to identify with the box. This is who I am. This Mm -hmm. can happen in school. It can happen like you know, you talked about in your Olympic experience, you know, you were, you objectified your body was the box by which, you know, you had to conform. Had to look a certain way, had to lift a certain number of weights. Even when I got on (laughs) more in my career, I had Boeing and the Olympics and Arthur Anderson had my MBA and I was, I was trying to do everything. I, I had the right house. I had the right car, the right partner, you know, everything looked a certain way, but I still had this sense of like, gosh, why do I still feel so empty? Because mm-hmm. I'm doing everything right. I'm fitting the, I'm conforming to the norms that should make me feel really happy inside. But I was really empty inside. Because a lot of what we learn to do in our relationships is very transactional. Kind of like that early relationship where it's a caregiver and a pleaser. But we actually start to believe that's a nature of a lot of our relation. I'll take care of you. You take care of me. Mm-hmm. Or I'll, I'll conform. Yeah. I'll do what you want. And so you'll love me. Right. Or I'll and, take care of you and then you'll love me. <laughs> and the same thing happens even as in business. As leaders, you start to have a much more transactional, I'll give you, you know, tell you what you need to do. You do what I want you to do. This is how we establish this rapport back and forth. And it's not that this is bad. It's just when we have when we limit our relationships to this transactional energy, it isn't very satisfying. That's what I found. I'm Chris Marie and I, you know, it's limiting. Yeah. And and similar it's, and what happens in, in the way we would look at this, if we were showing you a diagram, which we may just attach, we could even attach oh, to true. the energy that we were describing, all that big energy that's flowing through the universal that pops up to be us suddenly starts to get muted and tight. It's like there's a restrictive box around. You can think of this even as muscular armoring children that maybe get, you know, get spanked. spanked. You can see they'll pull in their butt and it, it actually, everything gets more rigid and it adults, you know, even trying to get adults to make sounds. Sometimes, oh my gosh. I, I mean, know. they could sing, which is very controlled in a lot of ways. Well, and it looks good. Yeah. You know, sounds good. I mean, but if you ask them just go, (laughs) which would actually be really healthy, (laughs) they don't. Well, this actually (laughs) came up in our warmups for theater because theater is a lot about having a very fluid voice and body. And some actors, when you start to do warmups, we do some silly games. And I was at one point was in a play with somebody and he just wouldn't do it. He's like, nope, can't do it. I'm not that, I'm not, he said, I'm not that coordinated, but it really, I think he was so embarrassed about like, I can't move that way. Cause little kids, you know, they're like gumbies and they're making sounds and looking silly and blah, blah. We definitely learned to and brace think about against that. Like the dancing, 
You know, like I just think of the movie Hitch. I don't know if any of you ever saw that. And Will, Will Smith, Smith was kind of mentoring and coaching this guy, Kevin. Kevin. And let's just say Kevin had some of the most weirdest moves. Yeah. And, I mean, Will Smith would he say, did Don't the- you ever do that? You know? Well, he did like the, oh, what's the sprinkler? He did that. He had all these different moves. And, and he's like, Will Smith's like, No, your zone is right here, back and forth arms by your side. Like you know how he got the girl in the movie? <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, the idea being that we tend to learn how to conform to adjust and we get tighter and more rigid and we identify with this box or this look we're supposed to have. And we think it's us. And we think it's us. And we actually lose that connection. And I think of that connection is this authentic, your authentic energy. It's like a flame inside of you. Mm-hmm. And as you get more identified with the box, I've got to have the right car, look good. That flame gets dimmer and dimmer. Right. And it so never goes out. <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't go out. You may think it, you can feel like it's been lost. And in some respects, you know, when we think even from a more broader level where we are now in our country, the polarization is really, we have become so transactional. So we have the Republican box, the Democratic box, and then yeah. we have these little offshoots of people doing other things that I'm not <laughs> sure what they're up to. But we have two primary boxes, you know, mm-hmm. and that actually is very difficult to create a relationship. And Susan, talk about what are the symptoms of when people are identified, like how would our listeners know, hey, I'm I'm pretty much stuck in my box. What are some of the symptoms? Well, I mean, the shoulds are a big part of that. There's a flatness, like a a lack of kind of inspiration. Inspiration or mojo as we call it. Yeah. And then the other thing that's really kind of classic is you really when you don't do it right, you beat yourself up. Yeah, huge critic. So a big self-critic and an internal critic. And you know, you drive yourself with some seriousness and some like to do better. Like mm-hmm. it's it cracks me up. Like I love my Peloton, so don't get me wrong. I really do. Sometimes they're just yelling and screaming, right? You gotta don't even think about turning it down. And I sort of laugh because that would be the voice of that right. critic. Now, sometimes there's the Cody Rigsby who's more calm. Well, do whatever you want, but you know, and- <laughs> these are different for those of you that don't know what a Peloton is. It's a it's a bike and it has a screen and we have instructors on it. And these are the personalities of the different instructors. But some of them, I would say, their range of voices could be variations of what someone's in voice might be like, depending on how rigid their box is. Yes. And I would even say another sign of kind of being identified with the box is even addictions because there's, because we're, addictions are about controlling. I've got to look a certain way. And when I don't, Ooh, I don't want to feel what that feels like. So I'll drink or I'll work. I'll use this to get away from exercise. You know, bring up the peloton. It's like, you know, and the idea being that, or you could also have like a constant state of depression or anxiety. These are both also chronically signs of you are likely more transactional and stuck in that box. Mm -hmm. And may even really want to get out, but don't know. That's what happened to me when I was in my 30s. Like, oh my gosh, I look perfect on paper and I am miserable inside and I don't know what's missing. Now, I want to just take one moment before we go further into how to shift some of this and think about what it's like when you're looking at that computer screen and there's <laughs> 10 or 12 little boxes. So we're talking about the box. So you yeah. can imagine that this is part of the challenge of Zoom or Teams or yeah. FaceTime. There are these little boxes. And so you may be thinking, see, there can't be the same level of connection because those boxes are all you see. (laughs) But we want to talk about what actually supports you getting out of your box 
yeah. in your life. And really, one of and the- on Zoom. <laughs> yes. The first thing is breath, you know, yes. like breathing. We've talked about that a lot. When you actually start to breathe and get out of just your head, we are not just a neocortex. It's really not our strongest suit. Yeah, your brain is not a good CEO. It's a good manager. But this connection to your universal energy or your soul or your heart is really the CEO that you want. And then your brain's a great implementer. And one way to start to get in touch with that is breathing, finding different ways to use your breath, to breathe more deeply, fully not forcing it, but beginning to just pay more attention, be curious and notice. I love this because a box is very rigid and breath, like you're saying, Susan, it creates movement in the body. Right. So it's breaking, it's actually bumping into even the character armor that we carry across our chest, across our diaphragms, all through all that in our jaw. And when you start to breathe more regularly, you're going to start to notice those places of constriction. And frankly, sometimes that can be uncomfortable. And you may be like, whoa, I don't want to keep breathing, (laughs) you know, because this is just easier, shallow life support. (laughs) However, you're missing the opportunity to really discover where you may have constricted and created a box that's just too tight. So breathing really does help you increase the flame, your own authentic connection. And then actually discovering and becoming more self-aware. Again, not just going to trying to get rid of the box, because the reality of it is you don't want to get rid of the box. No, but we have to live in society. We actually are connected to each other and need to follow rules and get a raise and make, you know, whatever it is, do things that. I mean, you could, you could go live on a mountain, be a monk. You could probably (laughs) do some sort of ecstatic practice that sends you into bliss that happens sometimes. Those are those are wonderful moments. <laughs> but you may miss relating yeah, to other people. Yeah. And in our relating, we do have those transactions that, again, it's not an all or nothing. We're just helping you. You still need the transactional pieces, but if that's all you're doing, it's going to feel pretty empty. Right. So the key is what you want to have, start to have happen is beginning to imagine that this box, it could thaw. Yeah, it's like the, and it's not like it goes away. It sort of starts to loosen, so it's not so solid. It has some and, pinholes in and it, and that's what we call boundaries. You know, boundaries are flexible and fluid. They're extensions and expressions of who I am in the world. They're not rigid and fixed. And so that is when the box starts to thaw. I have more of an opportunity to express what I want, what I don't want. So I think, Susan, this would be a great place if we had an example, like a wall or a box would be, I never, I never stay out after 10 o'clock <laughs> would be some sort of uh, wall versus, well, for the most part, I don't stay out after 10 o'clock, but you know what? When we're having drinks after rehearsal, I stay out later. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I can even think of like in the current environment, I will never take my mask off in public. Yeah, You know, and, and, I, and frankly, I think some people have a position, I will never put a mask on in public. Yeah. Both very walled versus, and I actually, sometimes when I'm in the grocery store and I see somebody without their mask, I operate from a place as though they are wrong. So that's <laughs> from my box. Yeah. Now, one thing, and I, I know, you know, I could go over and say, hey, maybe you forgot your mask. Here's one. Yes. <laughs> I could go and, you know, stay six feet away and like, is there a reason you're not wearing a mask? Because I'm, you know, there's... All of that is more looser boundarying than just being in my rigidity around the right wrong of it. Yeah. And not not making them conform or making them wrong. Those yeah. types of things. And I, this is this is a very fluid dynamic for me right now. So <laughs> good, good example. From our grocery shopping <laughs> yes. that happened yesterday. It was very dramatic. 
<laughs> Anyhow, you know, that's just an example. Now, as this, the key is, again, you want to, anytime you reconnect down to that larger universal. Which breath helps do. do. Yeah. And the other thing that really does it is self-revelation sharing who you are. We talk about it in the book from the standpoint of vulnerability mm-hmm. and curiosity, but vulnerability is that a willingness to reveal yourself to another, to say what's really going on, not because when you're not vulnerable, when you're in the control, that's are, the box. That's the box. Yeah. So that vulnerability is where you are actually beginning to allow that vibration to come up and be seen by another. Even that vibration, you may feel shaky revealing, you know, right now I'm very distracted because my kid is sick or my dog just ate, you know. But the idea is when we can be that vulnerable, when we actually see another human being for who they are, we feel a sense of connection because we often experience the same thing that other person Mm -hmm. is doing. And so, I mean, here's the bottom line on this. It's like you can be self-revelatory. You can be vulnerable. Sharing what you, what is happening what for you. What is happening to you, even through a computer screen. One of the things that we found, the two different events when we facilitated a team offsite that didn't go well or a team offsite that was phenomenal on Zoom or Teams, is we take the first bit to have people share more personally something deeper about what's going on for them. And this, if you do it all the time, it's going to be flat. People aren't going to be, it's not real it and fresh. It's part of the box. It's not yeah, a real it, thing. That's it. It, it becomes answer, part of the box. You know? <laughs> so, but if you have something where people are really dropping in and saying, yeah, this is what's happening for me. What happens is their armor lessons and the rest of the conversation is much deeper and richer. We found this consistently as we've done these virtual offsites. If you dive right into work though, and like, okay, we got to solve this problem. People are relating from their boxes. Their creativity is coming from their box, which isn't very creative. So you're not going to get the rich dialogue. You're not going to get the innovative solutions. This is kind of where our book comes in, The Beauty Conflict. That beauty piece doesn't occur. So what we're going to suggest to you is the next time you're in a situation where you maybe are on a screen, Take some breath because if you tap back into that vibration, so here's the deal. Here's the other piece of this is Mm -hmm. it's like, we are like tuning forks and this is why it's called the resonance model. When I am in my vibration, full vibration, and I'm revealing it, someone else is likely to experience. Now, sometimes they may see that resonance and it may spook them. And so they're going to tighten their box. And sometimes (laughs) they will. I'm not going there. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And sometimes there will be a resonance. It's like, oh, when somebody is expressing, say, something that really has meaning to them. A lot of times I don't know that I have this would have the same experience. But if I breathe and in that moment, I might connect to it Mm -hmm. through what had that same kind of it's the vibration. Yeah. It's the energetic vibration. And that can happen over the screen as well as in person. Yes. And it can happen at work or even with your family. Like if you're the person that tends to ask questions, so, okay, I'll just reveal me. This is Chris Marie. I am the type of person when I get on the phone or the video with my family, I don't reveal me. I ask all about them because that's usually safer. That's what I've done. That's how I've coped with my family. And if I can instead say, well, yeah, I'm having a hard time at this, or I'm really excited, I reveal even my joy. 
and then deal with whatever comes back. <laughs> but I have at least been, had my own back and shared what was important to me. I don't know how many women, this, I'm going to say women more than men, leaders I have coached who- Leaders, leaders high level High leader. level leaders. And often what they'll say to me is, you know, the thing that's most frustrating is I am known as the one who is the good at the relationship, at asking all the right questions. And in reality, I actually have a pretty strong opinion about what we need to be doing. Wow. But I don't, sometimes walk away, not feeling like I'm even heard or seen or somebody else takes my idea because I asked for it. <laughs> because and, you're you know, leading them on with the questions versus saying, hey, yeah. this is what I think we should do. And how often what it, you know, these women leaders are strong in the relational lens. Mm -hmm. And if they just showed up with their opinion and then still use their relational, which they will, I've seen over and over again, that has been one of the biggest coaching points that has helped transform some of the people I've worked with. See, so this, rather than asking a question, if I can, and other women leaders can lead with your opinion, be willing to risk leading with your opinion, what you think, what you want. And what you're feeling. And what you're feeling. On. Yeah. Why it matters to you. Yeah. I'm frustrated. And so I think we should do this because that can be very influential. Because you will then naturally fall into, so what do you think? Yeah. Which is that that's relational. The relational lens will come. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all we're really suggesting here is that in your, you want great, more rich and fulfilling connections. It's not about what's happening on the screens that's limiting you. Mm -hmm. It's what you're doing. Are you actually showing up? Are you aware of your own vibration? Are you aware of when you're holding back and when you're not? In our book, we talk about it from the lens of the vulnerability and curiosity. Use that compass for yourself. I have to give a, a this is a modern day TV reference about somebody showing up vulnerable and first being met with like not. So if you watch the TV show Shit's Creek, <laughs> there's a episode where David is being serenaded by this person. It's in a, like a coffee shop. He's playing, he's, he's gay. And the, the man is playing him a love song. And you see David first be like, oh, this is so silly. I can't believe it. And he's, he's just all like all tight and oh my God, rolling his eyes. And then as he continues to listen to this person who's being so genuine, you can see him soften and drop in yeah, over thaw. the thaw. He thaws. And then he just, you know, cracks open. It's, it's such a, not like with tears, but just you can see the loving, his heart opening. Can see the resonance. Yes. The, and here's the thing. Music does this for us yes. beautifully. Mm -hmm. The music has a vibration and it's a clear vibration. And, you know, that's why singing can be a way. Now you can do it rigidly or you could do it from a place of more embodiment. embodiment. And even you think about leaders that you've worked for over the time, the ones that, at least the ones I have really connected to. I see their heart. Sure, there's transactions, you know, they're operating sometimes from their role and their box, but at some point they drop in and they say, why this is so important? And, or even the connection, like, this is why it matters to me, Chris Marie, that you do it this mm -hmm. way. And so, oh my gosh, this person cares. I want to, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so there's this connection. Yeah. So this quality of resonance is a very powerful tool for you feeling more satisfied and fulfilled in your life, but also creating more connection, even virtually with people on your team and in your family. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, you'll practice some of this this week. Notice where you are more in touch with your own vibration, your own resonance, and see if that doesn't fundamentally transform 
the way the relationship goes, either in person or on a screen. And some key takeaways. So if you're you're feeling like I'm in a boxy meeting, take some breath and don't just take one breath, take some deeper breaths, take about 10 deeper breaths and think about what is it that I really want to say here and see if you can find a way to bring yourself forward, even if it's not like somebody isn't like when we're there, we kind of open the doors for people to do that type of sharing. But see if you can ask for what you want or state your opinion and show up more fully as you and notice what happens. Okay. All right. Thank you for joining us. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. We know conflict, stress, and uncertainty can be hard to navigate. So if you want more support, you can check out our other resources. We have two books on Amazon. Our business book is The Beauty of Conflict, Harnessing Your Team's Competitive Advantage, or our couples book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. We also have an ebook, How to Discuss Difficult Topics. We'll put the links in the show notes to make it easy for you. Also, if you need help with your team at work, we regularly conduct team sessions both live and virtually. If you'd like us to speak at your next event, or if you want coaching, Susan and I each coach business leaders, individuals, and couples. You can reach us at thrive at thriving.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E at T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C dot com. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please take 30 seconds to give us an iTunes review. It helps get this show out to others. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a peaceful, productive, and beautiful day. Take care of yourself, and we hope you'll join us again for another episode.